That's Psalm chapter 29, starting at verse 1. A Psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. In his temple, all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Acts 16, starting at verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman called Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. I think it would be a great help to me if you could have in your hands that outline on the back of the notice sheet and also this very smart map, which I can take no credit for whatsoever. It was put together by Tim Shepard, who has planned this series for our four o'clock and six o'clock congregations. So if you take one of those, and then of course the Bible in front of you as well. Now, a number of years ago, I was at a children's sports day and the parents were gathered in an extended semicircle with the children in front. 
and the headmistress giving the customary pep talk before the start of the sporting endeavours. And I was standing next to a particularly blunt and outspoken mother, not my wife. And uh, as the headmistress gave her kind of normal blurb, of course, boys and girls, it's not the winning, it's the taking part that we heard coming in a, a voice loud enough for all the parents to hear, but not for the headmistress, in words which I'm not going to repeat to you now, rubbish. Uh, we love to be on the winning side, don't we? We hate not being on the podium. We love to cross the line first, and we don't tend to like backing losers. Manchester City, the Rugby World Cup, the Ashes. Did you see Shakari Richardson as she crossed the line first in the women's 200-meter relay? And then did you see the celebrations? And did you see the Jamaicans as they gathered to console one another? Why is loser such a term of abuse? And the more the cause matters the more important that we're on the winning side. The more the issue is one of life and death and good for humanity or evil for humanity or truth and justice, salvation, eternity, the more it really, really matters which side we're on. The next six weeks of this series run right up to Christmas, the more we're going to witness the triumph of the good news, the gospel of the rule of Jesus. And we're going to see Luke, the author of the book of Acts, teaching us that if you trust in Jesus Christ, you're on the winning side. Because up front, the author, a guy called Luke, who also wrote Luke's gospel, tells us in his first volume that his first volume was about all that Jesus began to do. Tells us that in Acts chapter 1 verse 1. And that suggests, therefore, that this volume is about the ongoing works of Jesus Christ. And up front, Luke tells us the program of this book is to show us the advance of the rule of King Jesus across the globe. Just turn, if you would, back to chapter 1 as we get our bearings again for being in Acts. You can see verse 1. I'm in John's Gospel. That's not the right place to be at all. It's a fine place to be on a Tuesday evening, but uh, look at verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. So this volume, volume 2, is about what Jesus goes on. It should really be called not so much the Acts of the Apostles, but the ongoing Acts of Jesus. Now look at verse 8. He says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in a sense, you can see that depicted, can't you? Just you take the map, you see the light blue sign there as uh, the checker flag in Rome. We're going to end in Rome, which was in the first century, if you like, the New York, the, the Beijing, the London of the world, the center of the world, the Roman Empire. And uh, that's where we're going to end up with the gospel going to the ends of the earth, from Rome then to the world. Luke divides his book into major blocks of teaching. And each block is ended with a statement. 
And I printed the statement there in your service sheet on the introduction, chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Uh, The statement in chapter 9 is the church grew. The statement in chapter 12, the word of God increased and multiplied. The statement in chapter 16 is the churches grew and were strengthened. And now we have in chapter 19, verse 20, the end of this section that we're going to be studying. So, and that is, this is the King James version of it, mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And you can see the difference between what uh, Luke puts in chapter 6, verse 7, the word of God continued to increase, and what Luke puts in chapter 12, verse 24, the word of God increased and multiplied. And you see the difference there in chapter 19, verse 20, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And so in the chapters that we're going to be studying over the next few weeks, Luke, the author of this gospel, is wanting to show us how the good news of Jesus Christ prevailed, triumphed mightily and grew mightily. And and as I say, this really matters. Jesus has broken into this world. Jesus has lived a perfect, sinless life, died a death to carry God's judgment on our behalf. Jesus has risen, having paid the price for our sin, so that if we trust Jesus, we're forgiven. We need not fear coming judgment. Jesus is now enthroned, and Jesus will return to bring all men and women who have ever lived to face him in judgment. This really matters. We're dealing with life and death, heaven and hell, good and evil, truth and lies, justice. And Luke's aim is to show us across these chapters, the next five, six weeks, how it is that this truth of Jesus mightily grows and mightily prevails. Now, I imagine you're probably sitting there thinking, well, it doesn't always feel like that. And the answer is you're absolutely right. I don't know what it feels like in your school, for example, or in your office or the hospital in which you work, your place of study, whatever city or town or village or suburb that you've just arrived in London from. It doesn't always feel like that. But the aim of Luke is to show us that the gospel rule of King Jesus is increasing mightily and prevailing and to show us how it is that the gospel rule of King Jesus prevails mightily and grows. If you stop and think about it for just one second, the fact that the vast billions of people across the world who have trusted in the Lord Jesus down through the centuries exist shows us that the the rule of King Jesus does prevail mightily. We know it's true, but but how does it happen? How can we be confident that it's happening where we live and work? And Luke's aim is that we gain confidence in this so that we live confidently as Christians and speak boldly as Christians of the rule of King Jesus. 
Well, first, just two very simple points. With that sort of lengthy introduction, two very simple points. Now we've got our bearings. First, Jesus' rule triumphs as Jesus sovereignly directs its advance. Jesus' rule triumphs as Jesus himself, by the power of his Holy Spirit, sovereignly directs its advance. Uh, You might say Jesus' rule triumphs and advances in spite of apparent human setbacks. And we're here in verses 6 through 11. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, Luke is now with this band of men and women, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, this point is very simple. It has to do with travel plans and strategic decisions and human plans and God overruling. And it may seem a bit trivial to be looking at a a, a travel itinerary, but it is most important that we get it clear. Otherwise, we will find ourselves, particularly you businessmen and women, putting too much store by our own planning. And we will get disappointed as God overrules, and things that we thought we wanted to don't end up happening, and other things end up happening instead. It's a particular problem, I think, for us at a place like St. Helens. And we might find ourselves with a lack of readiness for flexibility, to change plans, to take a different course. You can see that Paul was a planner. He had a goal. He had made a plan, and he sought to carry it out. You can see his plans at the end of chapter 15, and there in verse 36, Paul and Barnabas say, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And so verse 41, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the disciples. But Paul was always looking to advance. And so when he is uh, finished his work in Galatia and Phrygia, he wants to go down to Asia. You can see it on the map there. But we read, the Holy Spirit forbade him, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Uh, They came up to Mysia, you can see it there, and they thought, well, let's actually go northeast to Bithynia. They could have gone from there, who knows, hopped across the sea there and found themselves in that southern USSR or Russia or whatever it happens to be in the Stans. But no, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so... They passed through Mysia and went down to Troas. You can see Troas there marked on the map just below Samothrace. And there a vision in the night, the man from Macedonia. Now, the Macedonians, we don't quite know what the vision was. The Macedonian dress was very distinctive, apparently. They had a particular type of accent. So it was clear that they came from wherever it happens to be, Hull or somewhere like that. 
And Macedonia was a key province of the Roman Empire, and it contained within it important cities such as Philippi and Thessalonica, one a Roman colony, the other one described as a second Rome. And the man had a very clear message, come over here and help us. How the Holy Spirit prevented them, we're not told. We're told the Holy Spirit, well, they were forbidden by the Spirit. How? Was it that the road was blocked? Were there brigands? We're just not told how the Spirit stopped them. We are told that it's the Spirit of Jesus. And so Luke is wanting to show us that the Lord Jesus sovereignly directs the advance of his mission so that his word triumphs. What what to learn? These verses, it seems to me, are absolutely key as we consider the advance of the Christian gospel and its triumph across the world. It will advance. There is no disputing that. All over the world, the gospel is advancing and bearing fruit. Flick back from way before Acts chapter 1 to Luke chapter 24, page 1066. You'll need to keep a finger here for later. Page 1066, Luke 24. Here is the risen Jesus at the end of Luke's gospel. He says this, Luke 24, verse 46. It's the top of page 1067. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So his name is going to be proclaimed to all nations. Repentance and forgiveness of sins is going to be proclaimed to all people. The gospel is going to reach Rome, and the gospel is going to reach much, much further than that. And it has. It struck me. I've just had lunch with all of our new associates. There are 15 of them. They come from New York, China, Australia, two from Kenya. They haven't quite landed yet. Lithuania, Japan, Singapore, France, Wales, can you imagine, and St. Albans, can you believe it? The gospel has gone all over the world. How does it travel across the world? As the Lord Jesus sovereignly directs and overrules our human plans. And this gospel really matters. And it's important that we realize that we're on the winning side. But the way Jesus causes his gospel to prevail and triumph mightily is by moving the pieces, as it were, as he wills. Now, some of you oldies will know Dick Lucas, my predecessor. I've done a series of interviews with Dick, each one of them for about an hour and a half. They're all recorded, uh, and we've transcribed them. And in one of the interviews about the earliest years here at St. Helens, Dick uses this phrase, it was as if God had a chessboard and he was moving all the pieces. (laughs) We make our plans. Uh, Planning is right. It's good that we plan. There's nothing wrong with being a business person and having strategic plans. But you see, Paul, well, 
He, he wanted to go to Bithynia. He was forbidden. He couldn't go. Was it robbers? Was it lack of money? We just don't know. But was it that there was some roadblock? We, we've no idea. Paul, he wanted to go to Asia, but he, he couldn't get there. And so he determined to go to Trust. And there God gave a vision. What, was it a dream? Was it, had he eaten too much cheese? Was it a kind of hallucination? We just don't know. But the man of Macedonia summons and across he goes. And God sovereignly direct. As I look back on the last 20 something years here at St. Helens, we've had any number of plans. Do you know we determined that we were going to focus very specifically on French speaking Europe. Within two years, a group of Latvians arrived. And I'll talk to you about this in just a moment, but a work opened up in Latvia that you simply couldn't say no to. And so we've developed a work in French-speaking Latvia, as we call it. But it's actually Latvian-speaking Latvia. But the Lord has overruled. He brought a young man here who cancelled his travel plans, having been here on a Sunday evening, stayed the week, was adamant that we should come over and help them in Riga, which we did. And we've been in a wonderful partnership. We, the Lord sovereignly directs. As I've been thinking about this, I've pondered, on an individual level, how many people may find themselves in London right now not having anticipated being here? Some of you finding yourself perhaps in a university town in a few weeks' time, which you really hadn't planned being in. And could it be that the Lord Jesus, it's as if he has a chessboard We tried to plant a church in Covent Garden. It ended up in Islington. We tried to plant a a, a church in Waterloo. We actually hired a guy who wanted to start a church in Waterloo. It ended up in Stratford. The Lord sovereignly directs. And if we get so rigid and unsensitive to the directing of God, the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus, well, that's not a clever thing to be. Very simple first lesson, very simple second lesson. Jesus' rule triumphs as Jesus opens the hearts of individuals. Now, I love it that the Apostle Paul ends up in Philippi and he ends up with Lydia, and that Lydia comes from Thyatira, which is in Asia the very place that Paul was forbidden from going to. I just love that, that the Lord, oh yeah, you're not to go over there, Asia. I I want you to go over there, Philippi. By the way, when you're over there, you're going to meet a woman from over there and her heart is ready to receive the gospel. Isn't it just beautiful? And we see it recorded there in verse 11. Setting sail from Troas, we, that's Luke, Paul, Timothy, and Silas, We made a direct voyage to Samothrace the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who'd come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention 
to what was said by Paul. Now, over the course of the next six weeks, we're going to visit six major cities in southern Europe. If you've just returned from the 50-degree heat and the fires of southern Europe, well, I'm sorry to re-traumatize you. Holidays in England, may I say, are absolutely tremendous, and I recommend the southwest. There are great rates there. But we're going to be traveling to... Uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, and Ephesus. And in, in each place we go, we're going to be shown that the word of God triumphs. And we're going to be shown what it looks like for the word of the Lord Jesus to prevail mightily. In every place, we're going to meet significant individuals. Here, Lydia, also the jailer of Philippi. He ran the jail. Jason we're going to meet, not this Jason, another one. Justus, Crispus, nothing to do with walkers, but a man called Crispus uh, in Corinth. Sosthenes, Apollos, Prisca, and Aquila. We're going to see really very, very significant opposition. Paul is put in jail. Paul is literally and physically set upon. He's beaten illegally with rods. There are earthquakes and other traumas. How does Jesus' rule prevail mightily and mightily grow? Chapter uh, chapter 16, verse 14, the second half of the verse. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. One by one, by one by one, by one by one by one. In fact, it can often look really quite dispiriting. It isn't actually our grand designs and human plans, the way in which the word of the Lord grows. Jesus directs it, and he directs his word into the hearts of individuals. And here, it's a woman from Thyatira rather than a man from Macedonia. And yet this is the first of the gospel at work in what we call today Europe. She was a dealer in purple cloth. Purple was the color of power. Was Lydia a bespoke tailor to the elite? Not Bowden, Fatfish, Charles Tirrett, or Zara, but Armani, Hermé, and Chanel. Lydia was a god worshiper, some sort of Jewess. And as was his normal practice, Paul went to the Jewish community that happened not to have a synagogue, but to meet beside the river. But look at what happens. The Lord opened her heart. And that's not at all a new idea. If you manage to remember to keep a finger in Luke chapter 24, turn back there again. Would you, page 1066, page 1066, This is not a new idea at all. Jesus, the risen Jesus, with his disciples, first on the road to Emmaus, verse 16 of chapter 24, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Then verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then verse 45, with his 12 disciples, or 11 disciples in the upper room, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And so it is as the Lord Jesus opens the mind, opens the heart, opens the eyes, 
They see who he is, that his gospel word advanced. The heart was not simply the seat of the emotion. It wasn't that they came over all fuzzy and felt rather sort of um, weak and wobbly inside. No, the heart was the place of reason, of thinking, of decision-making. The heart is the will, the human will. And in the Bible, the heart is described as variously as hard and obstinate and deceived and as evil and as blind and as dull and as straying and as wandering. Jesus tells us that out of the heart come all these evil things, adultery, gossip, sexual immorality and deceit. The heart always wanders, always strays in the Bible. I played the first round of golf for 42 years over the course of this summer. I found myself rather as the heart is described in the Bible, always wandering, never on the fairway, always in the rough, never on the tee, always in the bunker. There is the human heart, dull and blind and obstinate and evil and deceived. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by the apostle. And so what to learn? Well, we tend to think, don't we, that if only my arguments were strong enough or if only my logic were persuasive enough or if only my friendship were winsome enough or if only the preacher were funny enough or emotionally powerful enough or if only I had an air in there when I'm talking to my friend at the school coffee break or if only X or Y or Z were in my school or whatever it happens to be. No, it's the Lord who opens the heart, and he does it one by one, by one by one. How does the gospel prevail and advance mightily? I I wish we'd had a kind of time machine drone that we could go back to that riverside beach and see this little group in Philippi as Paul goes up to them and, and what would we see? Nothing, ve- nothing very special. We just see the Apostle Paul. And he turns up at their religious meeting and he starts speaking to them about the Lord Jesus. And God works. It's not that he didn't make plans. It's not that he wasn't bold. It was, it's not that he didn't break boundaries. Oh, he did all of those things. But it was the Lord who opened the heart. How does the gospel prevail mightily? One by one, as the Lord does his work. And I, I thought to myself, you know, each of us will find ourselves in a particular place tomorrow, perhaps on an aeroplane sitting next to somebody as we travel home. Perhaps at a new desk in an office, sitting next to somebody new. Perhaps in a new class or in a new lecture hall or something like that. All of us will find us, the Lord, how does the gospel prevail? As the word is spoken, as the Lord opens the heart. As Jesus sovereignly directs our travels and the advance of his gospel. So the gospel triumphs, but you will be on the winning side, even if it doesn't necessarily quite look like it. Let me lead us in prayer. We look across the globe, our Father, and we see the way the gospel 
has advanced and triumphed down through the ages and currently today across the world is advancing apace. And we pray that you would help us to trust you, to be sensitive to the direction of your Holy Spirit. And we do pray, our Father, that you would put each one of us alongside men and women in whom you are at work, opening their hearts to pay attention to the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.